Welcome to Macquarie Street, the national political podcast coming to you from the crucible of Australian democracy. Here's your host, Lyle Shelton. G'day and welcome to the Macquarie Street Political Podcast. I'm Lyle Shelton. Thanks so much for your company again this week. You're going to love my interview today with Senator Matthew Canavan. I'm sure you'll agree that he's one of the most courageous voices in our parliament. He's fearless. And uh, I speak with him. I really wanted to talk to him because of the debate around the religious discrimination bill last week in the parliament. Uh, very controversial, uh, lots and lots of misinformation. And uh, of course, the bill didn't even make the Senate where Matt Canavan sits, but uh, he's across the issues and uh, I wanted to speak with him to get his take. And uh, you'll, be, you'll be surprised and hopefully encouraged by the lessons that he thinks we as Christians and conservatives can take out of the events of last week where really freedom uh, continues to languish uh, four years after the definition of marriage was changed in law. And, th- and make no mistake, folks, that's what this is all about. It's about an aggressive LGBTIQA plus uh, lobby wanting to ensure that no one else has the rights to freedom of speech and freedom of religion uh, until that we all fly, rangba- fly rainbow flags outside of our schools and churches and celebrate uh, Pride Days. Uh, they, they have no tolerance for a multicultural, multi-faith uh, society. So I'm going to be talking about that with Matt. We're also talking about an issue which he reminded me of to do with, um, it's a bioethics issue to do with uh, three parent families creating a child uh, where there's three parents. And this is a deeply disturbing ethical issue. We unpack that as well, vaccine mandates. So please uh, strap yourself in and enjoy this discussion with Senator Matthew Canavan. Okay, well, welcome to the Macquarie Street Political Podcast. It's fantastic to have with me on the line today, Senator Matt Canavan joining me from Bundaberg in Queensland. Matt, welcome to Macquarie Street. Uh, Great to be with you here, Lyle. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity. Mate, we really appreciate it. It's been a lot of things we want to get through today, but it's been a big week in Canberra. Uh, yesterday, the Religious Freedom Bill was withdrawn from the Senate. Um, tell us from your perspective uh, what you saw uh, from your vantage point right there in the Red Chamber. Didn't, it didn't make it to, to the Red Chamber, Lyle, in the end, uh, but obviously I was keeping a close eye and interest in what was happening in the in the House of Representatives, although I wasn't awake at 4.30am in the morning when... Um, the uh, the final vote occurred there. Uh, look, it, it, it was in a in a sense disappointing, very disappointing, uh, that we have not been able to to establish a religious discrimination bill. But I suppose I always try and see the positives about things. And uh, look, it, it things could have turned out much worse this week in Canberra. There were grave risks if it had have come to the Senate that we would have taken a, a huge backward step, in my view, in yeah. removing protections for Christian schools or other religious schools uh, to decide. Um, who 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 attends the school? Because I think, yeah. well, absolutely, um, children uh, with issues around gender and sexuality deserve to have access to schools uh, mm-hmm. and institutions that support them. Uh, I think every parent in this country has the right to send their children to a school who shares their values and beliefs uh, and imposes certain standards and behaviours uh, among the student body. So the the amendments that were made in the in the House of Reps with Labor. Uh, with the Greens, with the Independents, and yes, some uh, moderate Liberal MPs, uh, those amendments would have stripped all the rights away from those parents, and that would have been much worse uh, than the corresponding benefit of the Religious Discrimination Bill. So the right decision, I think, was made to not proceed with it through the Senate at this stage, but the fight goes on to make sure we do have proper protections for religious freedom in Australia. 
Yeah, it was pretty ironic, um, wasn't it, Matt, that a bill which was supposed to protect uh, Christian schools and, and Christians in general from what we're seeing is some fairly you know, hostile attacks on Christians, particularly because of um, our beliefs around the, the, the timeless view of marriage, gender, uh, those sort of things, Christian sex, sexual ethics. Uh, this bill was actually amended in a way that would have stripped away the, those freedoms from Christian schools and from those parents who want to have their, their children educated that way. So it's, it's heartening to see that you've recognised that, Matt. Um, how did the narrative get away from us, do you think? You know, you're an observer of the political discourse. For anyone watching this debate, you would have think that um, Christians were looking for some mechanism to beat up on gay and transgender kids. That was the narrative that came through the media loud and clear, yet the truth of the matter is almost impossible to, to break through in the public square. Well, I suppose, Lyle, I think one thing that is, uh, uh, in my view, uh, contributes to this uh, situation is uh, myself, and I'm guilty of this sometimes, and other as, others of us in the debate here, spend too much time on the back foot, too much time playing defence. Uh, so we're sim simply always responding to uh, issues like uh, the treatment and respect for uh, children who, who have questions about their gender, uh, rather than talking about the positive things that Christian uh, and religious schools do provide. And so we fell into a bit of a spiral and a trap in the last couple of weeks around responding to the particular issues around the City Point uh, Christian School in Brisbane um, on that issue, and we're constantly on the defensive. Whereas, you know, I was thinking and reflecting on this this week that, for my mind, if we want to talk about the mental health issues and other problems young people in this country face, um, yes, I, I want to see an environment framework that helps all children, those um, who are questioning or, or worried about their sexuality, yes, want to see that as part of our community and country. But I think a bigger issue uh, across the broad is the lack of strong male role models uh, in uh, in many children's lives. Kids need a dad and that basic right to a father or don't, don't, don't see their father much in their lives. And we don't have enough male teachers in school. Only about 10% of teachers are male uh, across our school systems. And uh, it is often the religious and Christian schools that provide greater discipline often and standards and behaviour that do if you want to use the term, and I'll be criticised for this, but the masculine term of providing a set yeah. of structures and, and and framework that so many kids need, especially young boys. And so, uh, you know, we, we need to spend more time talking about those positive aspects, yeah. about what yeah. Christian schools, what, what schools with high standards um, help bring to a child's upbringing um, yeah. and less time on the back foot defending issues that are highly charged, highly emotional, and we'll just see us not, not uh, we'll just see our, our freedoms and rights chipped away at if that's all we talk about. Yeah. No, good on you, Matt. I think a lot of uh, our audience will be pleased to hear you say that. And you, you put up a very bold statement on Facebook to that effect, talking about the need for male role models. And um, we, we saw the Labor MP, Stephen Jones, give a very emotional speech, which I think did influence a lot of your colleagues uh, about his own son who wears high heels and has handbags and you know identifies in a gender ambiguous sort of way. What, what sort of impact did Stephen Jones' speech about his son uh, have in the, in the parliament? I'm going to have to plead ignorance on this one. I haven't seen the speech and, and wasn't really in direct communication with those of my colleagues that either were considering or did end up crossing the floor on this issue. So, yeah, I really I really don't know the, the exact impact it had. But this is some of the problems. I suppose I was reflecting on that, although I did see the reports and what have you, and I was reflecting on it. I thought, look, it's... um. Yeah, some of these debates do get wrapped up very with, with, with highly charged emotion. That's understandable. We're all human beings. But it is dangerous, I think, when you're trying to pass laws that affect so many people that you're effectively doing through anecdotes, not not yeah. not 
broader experience that all people um all people experience because let's face it, our mainstream media are constantly uh, purveying and pushing a certain agenda on these issues, most of them at least. Um, whereas, you know, I always have this this uh, uh, contradiction when I return home from Canberra, the discussion and I, I hear in Rockhampton uh, is very, very different from, from what is going on down there. And as I say, uh, I wish um, Stephen Jones is... Uh, a child all the best um, mm. I certainly cannot put myself into uh, their shoes but uh, I, I also also want a country which respects the rights of other parents to uh, form their own groups you know around yeah. their beliefs, yeah. their religion yeah. uh, how they view how they believe children should be raised that should be their parents right yeah, um, yeah. and what's got lost in this debate is that there, in my view there's there's no right that, that every child with every outlook should have every right to go to every school in the country. Mm. We should have a system which allows everyone to access a school and have an educational upbringing in the way they choose. But we should also let people decide, okay, this school is going to have certain dress standards, it's going to have certain hair yeah. standards, um, it's going to have certain standards of behaviour and parents come together as a group to form that school. And ultimately they use this terrible world called exclusion. You know, they do exclude mm. others mm. from that school, but... A, I, I, I love the old saying that good fences make for good neighbours, that we'll all get yeah. along and have a better country if we actually respect the differences between ourselves. And I've got no problem with having a different religious outlook, yeah. uh, different ethical outlook. You can all be Australians and still have that. But we'll have a better country, a more unified country, if we actually respect each other. Uh, it's okay, you want to go do that with your children and have their education that way? Go for your life. Great. Yeah. Um, but stop trying to look over your neighbor's fence and tell them what to do every day of the week. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think, you know, the overwhelming majority of Christian schools don't want to exclude anyone, but they do want to create an environment where uh, the standards of the parent community and their, their deeply held religious beliefs and views about gender and marriage and sexual ethics um, are allowed to be taught freely. And anyway, it's good the bill was withdrawn. Obviously, this is going to be a debate going through the election into the other side. It's far from being resolved in our nation. The other gender issue that was brought up in the uh, parliament, in the Senate this week, was um, a bill by your colleague, Senator Claire Chandler, to uh, save women's sports. Um, what was that? Did she uh, have the opportunity to speak on that? And, and what was the reaction to that bill? I presume it's a private senator's bill. It's not a government yeah. bill. Yes, that's right. That's right, Lyle. It's a private sentence bill. Look, all that happened this week was uh, uh, Claire introduced it. Um, so it's the first stage, the first reading of the bill. There was no debate, that, but that's the usual process. Um, mm. It doesn't, doesn't become debated um, immediately. It lays on the table a bit so people can consider it. Uh, obviously, there won't be time before the next election to fully consider Claire's bill, but it's a good first step here. And uh, the reaction in our party room, in the coalition party room, uh, was very much uh, that this is a great initiative from Claire's that we do need to protect women and women in sport uh, from unfair competition. I mean, it's very similar to the debate we we're just having before um, that uh, that uh, those that uh, are transgender, um, I've, I think absolutely should find a way for them to participate in sports, mm -hmm. compete against each other, etc. But uh, it's completely unfair to have people who only yesterday were men and have high testosterone levels, certain body and skeletal structures, and then put them in against women who they'll just thrash. <laughs> and you'll yeah, just, yeah. it'll be the death of women's sport if this yeah. keep, keeps going the way it's going. And I don't want to see that. Uh, um, women's sports made such great strides in recent yeah. years. And just as we're getting to that, we face this issue, which could just undermine it all. So yeah. that's just common sense. Um, I, I was actually here with the Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce today, encouraging him in the car 
that we should get onto Claire's bill. We should make that government Absolutely. policy. Absolutely. Uh, um, just common sense and yeah. it should be done. I reckon, Matt, the uh, political party that goes to this election saying they're going to save women and girls sports from the intrusion of biological males will win the election. So, you know, the Nationals could form government off the back of this, Matt. That's my two months <laughs> worth. Matt, right. um, the, the other right. big issue in the Senate, and uh, this was this was very much under the radar this week, and, and thank you for pointing this out to me off air, but this issue of, um, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, mitochondrial um, yeah. technology, uh, so yeah. three parent babies. Um, tell us about that. Yeah, look, it, it is an issue that, that hasn't gained a lot of attention, but I do think there are ser very serious impl implications of the legalisation of uh, uh, babies born from genetic material from three people. And um, if I can indulge you with a brief uh, mm. description of what this issue is, is some people among us have a disease called mitochondrial disease. It uh, means that they cannot process food and energy into the way your normal way. Most of us can and can lead to lots of debilitating conditions, even death in some cases. And so it's a terrible thing. And people with mitochondrial disease, it's a genetic disorder. So they, 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 if it's a severe form of the disease, um, it's risky to have a child. You may pass it on to your child. And it, it, we, we obviously, and I said this in my contribution, I think we as Christians in particular can deeply understand the human urge and desire to have a genetic child. Like, you know, adoption's great. Um, surrogate parenting, parent, parent, parenting can now happen. But there is something innate in us that want to have a child um, and pass on our legacy through our genes almost. And, 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 but unfortunately, people in that situation can't. And, and here, potentially, with the modern technology, we can overcome this issue. What happens here is potentially, if this bill goes through, we'll be legalising the, um, the technique that would um, either at an egg stage with an egg or with an embryo fertilised by two fertilised eggs, allow the transfer of genetic material between two females, effectively, female donors, uh, you get your mitochondria from your mum. So the transfer occurs on um, that female line. And and I've got two concerns with this, two main concerns. One, there's the pro-life ethical concern here that um, under some of these processes we'll be fertilising two eggs, uh, mm -hmm. creating, in my view, two lives um, yeah. through uh, uh, through artificial insemination. And, and, and in that case... The genetic material is transferred from one embryo to another, and then the 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 one with the the that we've taken the material out of the embryo there that life is destroyed, uh, is discarded, and and in effect it's 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 some of my colleagues think well we've done IVF so why can't we do that and of course you lose yeah. a lot of embryos in IVF but there's something right. different about the intention of this one, yeah. in the case of IVF. Uh, it's not the intention at the start of it to destroy all the embryos. You create an excess yeah. to some of which will go through to a, to a functioning life. In this case, you are creating a a life with the the absolute intention to use it as a tool or an instrument to help save another life. Like I think it's a very dangerous ethical approach to deep public policy conditions that we would somehow sacrifice one life to help another life. It's a very utilitarian approach. That is, it completely at odds with the natural law approach that most Christians, but other ethicists, would, non-Christian ethicists would yeah. take. And I think we should protect life. And therefore, mm -hmm. I've tried to amend the bill and deep the amendments up before the Senate now. We didn't get to vote on it to remove that method, remove that right. method. Right. I've got another ethical concern here about gene therapy. We could talk for a long time. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole lot of implications here because the techniques developed here um, uh, could do a lot more in the future than just remove this debilitating disease um, around mitochondria. Mm. It could mm. be used ultimately uh, to deal with other diseases, of course, that are genetic in nature 
and or even and or even this doesn't do that this bill doesn't approve this but it could it could in the future lead to the techniques that um help us uh determine what height what weight what um, muscle muscle structure you have and that that to me is very very concerning moving to this transhumanism sort of uh gender um that's another reason why i don't think we should proceed down this path um, yeah, these bioethical though, issues and these, these technological issues are, are, are huge. Um, th- there's a real ethical issue here. I mean, I take your pro-life point about uh, creating a human embryo, then destroying it, that utilitarian thing, and obviously I don't think that should ever be done. But um, this idea that a child should be created with genetic material from three adults, um, again, that's apart from those other concerns you raised, that is, is um, really, I think... Um, that's impinging on the rights of, of the child somewhere. And as much as we all want to help people have children and mitigate disease and use technology for that, uh, we've got to have in mind the ethical considerations. And it seems like we're crossing ethical lines here. Well, look, and, and I absolutely uh, agree with that. Keep in mind, this is different from an organ transplant or what have you, mm. um, which only affects the donor and receiver. In this case, the human germline will be modified forever in a day. You'll pass mm. on that that genetic material from three people through the generations. Um, I, I should just raise it. In this case, you are transferring something called the M mitochondrial DNA, which is not in your nucleus of your DNA. The mitochondrial DNA does not affect your hair colour, eye colour, etc. Okay. Uh, the point is here, the techniques that are developed could be used uh, to do those very things in the future. So it raises a lot of concerns. And what I'm really worried about, a broader point here, particularly as we come out of the COVID pandemic, is that this legislative structure we're setting up it actually exempts these processes from the gene technology regulator. We've also mm-hmm. tried to amend the bill to correct that. Um, uh, it's effectively we're providing the scientists with self-regulation here. They get to regulate how this is done mm-hmm. through the National Health Medical Research Council, um, which is an advisory body made up of scientists. And what really concerns me, Lyle, is that through the Senate, a lot of senators opposed to my and others' position through this debate took the view that somehow scientists are infallible and, you know, we don't need to or should not question their judgment, even moral or otherwise, about these issues going forward. We don't need regulation because they're very smart and they know what they're doing and they're scientists, just trust the science. Yeah, now, yeah. have these people been watching what's happened over the past yeah. two years? We've just had a pandemic that almost certainly, uh, in one way or another, was created by science. science. Mm. Um, we've had a situation where the regulation of, science in the Wuhan Institute of Virology was defective, and that's putting it mildly. We've had a situation where our own scientists in the Australian CSIRO were cooperating with people in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and there almost was no oversight or questioning of this until after the terrible pandemic was unleashed. We must have much greater oversight and regulation coming out of this pandemic of what actually is going on. uh, In our our fantastic scientific institutions, these people are great, they're just not infallible. So, so Matt, well, let's, let's come back to the pandemic and the, the issues out of that in a second. But just on that um, mitochondrial uh, bill that you're seeking to have amended, uh, given that we're in the run-up to the election, what are the chances of your amendments uh, being passed? Uh, there's only limited sitting time left for the Senate, or, or is this going to be kicked on till after the election? I imagine it will be resolved before the election. There's two Senate sitting days left. We have, uh, I think, two and a half amendments left to pr- pr- go through. Um, but some of the votes have been very close. There was one vote. We only lost by one the vote um, mm-hmm. uh, on the amendments. We haven't got any amended just yet. Um, but, look, if, you, if, if your listeners or viewers are concerned about this, please contact your local mm-hmm. senator. It's in the Senate. Yeah. So contact your senators. Um, and as I say, look, I, I think the overall bill will go through. That's not going to be stopped. But we could 
um, amend the bill to deal with the life issues I, mm-hmm. I mentioned. Start with techniques that involve just eggs, not embryos, yeah. and yeah. also and also encourage your senators to support proper regulation of these procedures. There yeah. should be non-scientific bioethicists who are overseeing this. There should be proper arm's yeah. length regulation because I don't want, I don't want another gain of function disaster yeah, unleashed yeah. on the no, world. Good. There yeah. needs to be some some control here. Good on you, Matt, for raising this. I mean, I must admit, I didn't even know this was happening until you mentioned it to me uh, this week. Um, and we'll keep an eye on this uh, as this goes through these last couple of sitting days of the Senate. Matt, uh, I know your time's short. Um, the vaccine mandates, we've been talking about freedom of religion and freedom of speech and all these things. That And um, look, I'm not anti-vax or anything like that, but I am concerned with so much of the misinformation and the coercion. And, and um, I've really appreciated your stance on, on mandates. Um, what is the state of freedom in this country? <laughs> and uh, do you despair with uh, the way that the discourse has gone over this issue? I, I am very disappointed, frustrated, but, despair, but freedom is down but not out, Lyle. I, I, I do think we're going to get, get our country back. Uh, I remain an optimist here. Uh, and I know, that's very frust- I know it's very frustrating and, and, and some, for some people uh, th- can see it as the impossibility through this there's the darkness here that has descended across our country with these mandates and restrictions that are stopping people from work. I mean, the main reason I've come out hard against the mandates is not because you can't go get a cup of coffee if you don't have a vaccine passport. It's because you can't provide for your family. Yeah. Some yeah. people have been denied the ability to work. Uh, and that's a fundamental right uh, that, that, that I think we should protect in this country. It's broader than just freedom. and You have the right through hard work, through your efforts, to put bread on the table for your family and governments in this country have uh, cruelly uh, uh, taken that right away from people, stripped it away from people without a very good reason at all because we we can see the vaccines aren't stopping uh, coronavirus in any material way. But look overseas, Lyle, look overseas. I think we're a bit behind. We're a bit behind this issue because we didn't have a major outbreak until a couple of months ago. And, And so other countries that have gone through coronavirus spreads much more than us, a lot of their stuff's being dismantled. Uh, overnight, the yeah. UK government had already announced mandates were gone, but they overnight also announced that all COVID restrictions would end within a couple of weeks, including requirements to isolate if you have COVID. So that's a major sea change. Denmark have done the same. Mm. Um, many states in the US have already done that or are moving in this direction. And I think it's only a matter of time. As long as we keep it up, like keep, keep pushing, keep mm. raising these issues, uh, I think we'll get there in Australia too. Hmm. Is that the sense you get? I mean, you've been in Canberra this week. Is that the discussion amongst your colleagues in the party room that, um, that you know, we're heading in a trajectory now where we'll soon see, you know, masks not required, QR codes gone, mandates gone and life, you know, back to normal as it is in places like Denmark and others that are, are just dropping all restrictions? I mean, they're doing that in the middle of winter. We're in the middle of summer. I mean, look, I know, I know um, the Prime Minister is getting attacked by everybody now but 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 he has publicly said he's not supportive of mandates the federal government has not imposed these issues so all of my colleagues uh, do want to return to that and do think we should yeah. I, I do think if we're going to make a political point that the real risk for this is the election of a, of a labor government that there's no doubt that labor are much more have been much more in favor of lockdowns vaccine mandates all of these sort of restrictions through the pandemic and so an anthony albanese led federal government will be teaming up. We'll be working in tandem with Daniel Andrews in the National Cabinet to potentially sustain these things longer than they need to be. I mean, keep in mind, New South Wales, they they have not had vaccine mandates apart from a very brief period. Uh, but once they hit uh, 95% vaccination, yeah. they got rid of those. They're not coming back. Um, they've largely freed up most other restrictions as well. 
so yeah, I, I, I think that offers the best hope. And I realise others will be disappointed in us and may not put yeah. us number one. Well, but can we just address that issue of the disappointment? Yep. Yeah, just uh, and just finally, Matt, before you go, um, that issue of the disappointment that many conservatives have uh, with the Morrison government, and I think a lot of Christians are, are disappointed as well. Um, Peter Credlin touched on this in a recent column in the Australian, uh, where she said, "Look, um, you know, we're all very disappointed," and she's a high-profile conservative, liberal blue blood, uh, Tony Abbott's former chief of staff, and she's saying, despite the disappointment, vote for the Liberal Party because, as you said, it's going to be much worse under under Labor. They are far more woke, and I, I agree with that. Um, you know, what what would you say to disillusioned Christians and Conservatives who, who feel a lot of disappointment over what's happened in the last three years? Well, what we've got to do um, uh, primarily is support those people within the Liberal National Party that support those values uh, and get behind them, get behind them because, you know, I, I mean, I've been through a few... Uh, or on the end of a few bruising losses within the Liberal National yeah. Party, remember the past few months going beyond just the vaccine mandates into climate policy, etc. Yeah. And some people have expected, oh, well, because you haven't got your way, why don't you just leave the party? And that that's the wrong approach, in my view. It's absolutely wrong because, you know, good luck to to the other parties running around, but they're not going to form government. They're not actually going to be in control of these things. All of the restrictions and all of the issues that come through the coronavirus pandemic have happened by governments. There's been no legislation. It hasn't gone through. Uh, Pauline Hanson hasn't got a vote on vaccine mandates or all these other issues. Uh, they've all been done through acts of parliament that give governments that power. So we've got to get into government. We've got to get into government and we've got to, to change these things. And that means getting involved in one of the parties of government. So get involved in the Liberal National Party. Join the party. Uh, uh, you can decide in pre-selections who ends up going to Canberra and support those people that support your values and beliefs. That's the way we turn this thing around. And at this election, there are plenty of good people uh, who are fighting on these issues and want to see them turn around. Uh, you know, I'm here in central Queensland campaigning with a guy called Colin Boyce at the moment. The seat of Flynn is going to be key to determine the election. Get behind him, support him. He's got exactly the same views as I had. All of these things, I need him in Canberra. I need him in the party room supporting me. Yeah, No, good on you, Matt. Look, I obviously agree with that. You know of my dalliances in uh, minor party politics but um but oh well i'm still hanging in there but um but i do agree with you and i i, I endorse what you're saying i think people need to get involved um uh if it's with a minor party so be it but whatever uh but but certainly i agree with the strategy of getting involved with um the major parties like the liberals and nationals matt i think so many australians are, are really um grateful for your presence your voice uh, in the media on sky news and other places uh, you're one of the last voices of reason and um the way you put forward conservative and, and and not afraid of your christian viewpoints is very much appreciated i know as by my audience so thank you so much for being with us today on uh, the macquarie street political podcast thanks lyle thanks for the time mate have a great weekend well, thanks so much for watching the Macquarie Street Political Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed that discussion with Matt. Uh, for those who have been following the Christian Democratic Party, of which I'm a member and uh, employed by, uh, it's been a difficult time. Uh, there's, it's on the public record uh, that uh, there's two uh, warring factions in the party, very small factions, and they've been fighting each other in court for a long time. And uh, that it's escalated as they've both gone back to court. Uh, last uh, October, through October, November, December, and now here into February. And um, they're fighting over how a new and valid board could be elected for the party. Uh, they don't like the various options that have been put to them. 
And so they keep going back to court and burning money at a great rate of knots and wasting time at a time when Australians are crying out for political leadership. And uh, it's quite grievous to me uh, to see this happening. Uh, I want to see the nexus broken. I think the best way would be to allow all of the members of the Christian Democratic Party, all the financial members, to have an all-member vote. That would break the power of these two tiny factions which uh, seem to be holding uh, the whole organisation over a barrel as they fight uh, in court. So please pray there's a, another court case happening uh, next Tuesday in the Supreme Court of New South Wales before Justice Black. Uh, he'll be looking at uh, solvency issues. Um, I think the party uh, does have the funds with which to uh, continue on, but uh, they're fast depleting because of this legal battle. $490,000 so far has been burnt up of the party's precious uh, money. That's a combination of uh, public money that the party receives and also donors and members money. So it's, um, it's really a very, very serious situation. So please pray for a breakthrough uh, and um, keep an eye out for what happens next Tuesday in the New South Wales Supreme Court. So thank you for that. Well, that's it uh, for this week. Thanks for your company. I look forward to um, being with you again uh, next week on the Macquarie Street Political Podcast. God bless.